Hey, thanks, friends, for joining us online at West Tonka at Bush Lake. And wherever you are, if you're a guest, really delighted that you're with us today. And um, just glad we're jumping into James again. This is our second Sunday, second week in James. We're in chapter one. And it is just an amazing book. It's so helpful and practical. It's been a favorite for Christians throughout the centuries because it just impacts our everyday life. There's blessing in it. We encourage you to just stay in it. The purpose of James writing the book was really quite simply to help us live Christianly. Not to help us become a Christian, he's assuming we have faith, but that we would connect the dots of how we actually go about living Christianly. And so we opened up the book last week. We talked about the fact that it's a short book. It's only 108 verses, so I encourage you, be reading it. Every week, every day, try to read it. Let it just saturate you in the course of the summer. We'll be in chapter one through the rest of the month. So just keep reading chapter one as, as, a, as a discipline. I also encourage you to memorize um, the, the book, if you want, the whole book, it's only 108 verses. You could memorize the whole book over the course of the summer. And of course, last week, you just kind of looked at me like, what? <laughs> well, if it's not the whole book, then memorize portions of the book. But I'll tell you, I was surprised by the flurry of interest in memorizing scripture last week that I got from text messages, from emails from people, from friends and conversations with people who say, I want to do it. A friend of us who challenged me personally and my wife to memorize all of James through the course of the summer. I'm in on it. Carrie, how you doing? She, she didn't know I was going to ask her that. She's thinking about it still. But anyway, we want to encourage you to memorize the scripture and step into it. In fact, after one of the service last week, I had three little kids come up to me and say, in our home, we've been memorizing James. And we are through chapter four. And we're starting chapter five. And I was blown away. I said, well, what are your favorite verses? And what are, how did you actually go about memorizing? So you can encourage our church family. And they put it on a little uh, phone camera video. Here's the three kids and what they, they told me. My name is Junior. Josiah. Shiloh. Junior, what is your favorite verse? My favorite verse from James is James 3, 17. But the wisdom that comes down from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Our favorite is James 1. James, a bonzer of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. <laughs> My favorite verse is James 1.19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Junior, how do you memorize a verse? We write it down, and then we say it over and over until we get it. Jojo, is that how you would memorize a verse? Always. Shiloh? Um, I write it down, then I say it, and then I draw pictures to go with it. The pictures help me because they're funny and they go with what the verse is trying to say. Have, Have a, a good, good Sunday. Sunday. I'm going to read my Bible. You should too. <laughs> Got to give it up for the kids. Thanks for recording that. Isn't that great? My general observation as a parent is one of the children should never drink coffee in their life. <laughs> Josiah's a kick in the pants, just delightful kids. Like Shiloh's just call to say, when I memorize scripture, I draw pictures to help me remember it. I go really simple ways. Expression deepens impression. So I would encourage you, 
take it seriously, memorize the words. So I, I did this week, I laid out my 10 favorite verses from James, and I did a little blog post for you that you can find on the homepage on our website with all 10 of those verses. Take them, cut them out, put them in your car, memorize them. You can at least do 10. If you don't do the whole book, do the 10 verses. You'll be glad that you did. You'll have the word of God in your heart and in your life. Last week we learned and opened up James 1 to the words. He starts on the deep end of the pool. Consider it pure joy um, when you face trials of many kinds. And we did a deep dive on what he meant, and those words become the fuel for the words that follow today in chapter one when I entitled the message, Get Wisdom, because we need it. We need wisdom to face those trials that come to us in life. We need wisdom to follow and to live with God in our lives. We need wisdom to be able to um, satisfy the longing of our heart for happiness. Do you know wisdom satisfies the heart for happiness? And it's not satisfying it for a day or a week or a month or a year, but it is for eternity. We need wisdom for that happiness to be satisfied. And so I want to take a look at at the question today that is going to be at least a summary. The direction I want to go is with this question, and that is, how do you receive wisdom from God? And I want to point out what James says in these few verses are two things that relate to you, two things that relate to him. And as I'm putting it together, I have this aha. I go, oh, it forms an acronym. When that happens and you're studying and preparing to speak, I go, oh, that's helpful. It'll help you remember. Here's the, the acronym is NAGS, N-A-G-S, that your need for wisdom nags at you. You so need it. There's an urgency from within. Sometimes you're not tapping into it, but it's in the undercurrent of your very self, this longing for wisdom to help you in your life. And so what we're going to take a look at is what I call the four itties of James, and that is necessity, did you get that, availability, generosity, and sincerity, And it's two related to you, two related to God. The direction I'm going to go is talking about your necessity for it, God's availability to give it, God's generosity in the abundant way that he gives it, and back to you again, your necessity uh, or your sincerity to actually know how to receive it. So that's the direction we're going to go. You in with this? Can we jump into it? The verses we're going to pick up, if you have your Bibles with you, is James 1, beginning at chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Just to bend your ear and hear what James says. If you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed in the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So let's jump into it. How do you receive wisdom from God? We find the first itty, and that simply is wisdom is your absolute necessity. Um, That is, it's not a luxury. It's not optional for us. It is a necessity, it is essential. Look at James 1.5 again, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should seek God. If any of you lacks wisdom, you could pause right there and put a bracket, and certainly you do, you should ask God. In other words, he's making it clear that we all need wisdom. 
Certainly we do. To help us figure out life and how to live it well according to God's way, we're not doing it without the wisdom of God. So he gives this beautiful picture that we do need it. In fact, wisdom is so important from the perspective that James teaches that it's like oxygen. We need um, oxygen to breathe. We need wisdom to live and to breathe. And I just know, because I read your prayer request this past week, some of you can hardly breathe right now. You are so pressed in, some of you, with the realities of life that it feels like a vice grip has just taken the oxygen out of your journey. And so you need to breathe. You need this wisdom from God. So James has told us that trials are inevitable. He's told us that life is hard, but God is good. And the goodness of God is the wisdom of God to deal with life's hardship. He's telling us that when you let life's hardship, hardship become greater than God's goodness, you will not go to God. You will go to yourself. You'll turn to yourself and you'll lose that oxygen to breathe. Wisdom will diminish in your journey. But if you inverse it, and if God and his goodness is greater than your hardship, you will likely go to God, and you will find as you go to God, he gives you the capacity to breathe. He gives you perspective. He gives you gifts in the middle of any trials that you may be enduring and going through. You know, we may, we may vary in our um, degree of need, but not of our need for wisdom. So it's very depending on the season that we find ourselves in life. But you know that the absence of wisdom right now in the time we live is creating ignorance. It's creating confusion. It's creating even moral chaos. Part of what we're dealing with our world today is we're just simply lacking wisdom. And we just need God's wisdom to help us sort it all out again in our journey. You know, we're living in the digital age, the information age. We are living in the media age. It's an amazing time to be alive. I want to introduce you to a gentleman by the name of Buckminster Fuller. In 1982, he coined a phrase that is commonly used today, and it's called the knowledge doubling curve. That today, knowledge doubles in our life every 13 months. If you go back to 1900, it took 100 years for knowledge to double. In 1945, it was 25 years, and now it's 13 months. And with the advance of AI, the artificial intelligence, they expect that knowledge will be doubling every 12 hours. Now that, it's scary, isn't it? But we can either have faith or we can, our fear, or we can bring faith to that scenario and certainly we wanna do it. But we have this astonishing reality. We are increasing in knowledge. And at the same time as we're ascending in knowledge, we are descending in wisdom. Isn't that fascinating? Why does that paradox exist today? But it does. I created a little diagram just to parse it out a little bit and show you where I think we get stuck. We have data, we have facts, we have statistics. And I'm one, I, I love it. I Google my ignorance at least once a day. <laughs> I just look for some fact to it and I go, it's amazing, just like that, you can learn something that used to take hours to try to get a hold of. It's a wonderful thing. And yet data does not help us live our life according to the will and the way of God. And so data gets translated into information. And information is simply um, organized data. It's organized data that gets us pieces of a puzzle. They're just pieces. 
but they give us new insight. And it's helpful, but not helpful to the end of helping us know how to live our lives to the Lord. So information gets translated into knowledge. And knowledge is just simply information that is garnered because of research or attentiveness or experiences in life, a reasoning in our lives. And, and we all of a sudden have these pieces that, gain, that give us a, a, an understanding. So we move from insight to understanding where the pieces, like in the puzzle, become connected. And we can start connecting and gain some understanding. We have grown so knowledgeable, however, we have found our confidence in our knowledge and we've stopped there. And we have a ascending reality of knowledge and a descending of pursuit for wisdom. But we need wisdom to know how to live according to God's way and to God's will. We need that beautiful gift that God, God gives to us. Data, information, knowledge, these are natural ordered things that God gives to us, but wisdom is supernatural. It's the gift that God gives to anyone who seeks it to help us know, to remind us that we are created in the image of God and that he will help us live according to his will and his way. That's his intention in the journey. And people have this phenomenal intellect today. We have some of the smartest people in the world, but we have people with less wisdom than we've had in previous generations. We need a good dose of wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? That's what Job asked. Remember Job? I mean, Job, he loses, man, this guy, he loses his possessions, he loses his children, he loses his health, he loses just almost everything. And the book is this battle of his life as he tries to trust God and make sense of it, and it comes to this incredible conclusion at the end when he asks the question, where does wisdom get found? And where does understanding dwell? And then he answers the question at the end of the book, not just for himself, but for all of us. This is what he said. And he said to the human race, he's not stuck in his own reality and all of his losses. He's learned so much, he doesn't want us to miss it. So all these centuries later, he's saying, pay attention, all of humanity. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. And so the psalmist reminds us in other places in the scripture that um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So... Seek God, resist evil. If you resist evil, um, you'll have a greater opportunity to seek the way God wants us to live in this world of moral chaos that we live in today. And what a great reminder it is for us because we need it. The question of wisdom starts with the who, not the what. So we think about wisdom of always asking God, what do I need for this situation? But start with the who. It begins with God. That's what James is reminding us in this text. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Go to God. Seek the Lord first. So with that said, let's just land in a, a definition of, of wisdom to help us. So I looked at several biblical um, definitions, and they were all helpful. I kind of did a composite and came up with this. Technical, but helpful. It's the capacity of the mind allowing you to understand life from God's perspective and leading you to live with right conduct, 
conduct that aligns with God's perspective, and I would agree with that. That wisdom is this gift from God. But I had this aha as I was working on the technical definition that my morning prayer, my common morning prayer, prayed most mornings in my journey since 1999 because out of urgency, I, it was nagging at me. I needed the wisdom of God. We had started the church, we were growing the church and seeing God work in the church, but I needed wisdom from God, and I sensed it, but I kept having my hands on the steering wheel of my life, defaulting to self, and I go, I want to wake up with God. That's a good desire. But you know, you can't, you, know, you wake up with how you wake up, right? You, you have to discipline the mind to want to wake up with God. So, and I've shared this prayer with you throughout the years, and I keep praying, I'm giving it to you because I think it's, a, it's really a wisdom prayer. Wake up, roll out of bed, get on your knees before you turn on the light and pray. This is Joel's prayer right here. Thank you, Lord, for life today, which is, by the way, wouldn't you agree, a great place to start your day. <laughs> If you wake up breathing, stop right now and thank God that you are breathing. And then I pray the simple prayer of wisdom. Let me be who you want me to be. Let me do what you want me to do. Let me go where you want me to go. Let me say what you want me to say. All those things. Do I do it in full in the course of the day? No. But I do it a lot better when I offer myself at the beginning of the day than if I go on my own from the beginning of the day. Dip into the bucket of mercy that is God for you every morning and give thanks for life. Have gratitude and ask for the wisdom that helps you. So how do you find wisdom from God? The first one relates to, to you in the sense that wisdom is an absolute necessity. I have to believe that I truly need it, and I do, James says. I suppose the application to this is, am I understanding or leaning on my own understanding or leaning on God's understanding? That's the first application that he has for us. I need it, so I don't need my own understanding. I need his. Secondly, wisdom is God's astonishing availability. If I had better legs and if I was just a little bit younger, I would jump as high as I could for you and go, wow, God's astonishing availability. Pinch yourself that the God who created you is with you and he's for you. Let us not take for granted when we wake up for the morning. If we wake up with life, God gave us that life. Let's be astonished on God's availability to give to us his presence. It's astonishing. We need it and he gives it. Look what James says again. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously. He, he is just astonishing in his availability. He calls us to come to him and ask him. There it is, another imperative. I told you last week, there are 108 verses. There are 54 imperatives. We looked at four last week. Here's another one, ask, ask God. And when you ask God, what are you asking for? He says, ask for wisdom. And what is wisdom? Quite simply, it's, uh, it's W to the three, okay? It's W to the three in that it's God's way, it's God's will, it's God's wants for your life, which is very different than your way, your will, and your wants for our, your life. So the tension is always recognizing our need for God's way, will, and wants versus our known and our, our own way, will, and want. And that's where we tend to feel vulnerable and fall short in that given journey. So he doesn't say first, ask mom. Doesn't say that. He doesn't even say ask dad. He doesn't say ask books or ask a counselor, ask a friend or ask um, a pastor. He says, ask God. Start with God. Go to God at the beginning of the day. Let it be your first go-to in life, James is speaking here. And I think about this because of this hovering reality in life that we have uncertainty. 
And some of you have it today. You have uncertainty about a decision that you need to make, or there's an uncertainty of a crisis that you're facing, or uncertainty about a relationship that needs to be made right and you're not sure how to enter into it. I could go on and on on what your uncertainty is, but that's part of our um, undercurrent need for wisdom to God and help us meet that given need. And so we're in this place of uncertainty and where fear is present, wisdom you haven't. Did you get that? Where fear is present, wisdom you haven't. That when we go through these uncertainties, our greatest struggle is fear and anxiety, which becomes an obstacle to the flow of the very wisdom of God. So where fear is present, wisdom you haven't, because what happens with fear is that it it draws us to self, and we start to choke on self and we're kept from coming to God to get what we most need, you'll find that fear accelerates your concerns, doesn't it? But then you'll find that wisdom slows everything down, and you start to see the reality of your need for space and place and people and relationship to to find an ordered reality. I need God for this, and I go to him instead of getting lost in myself. I was introduced in the last couple of years to um, a Christian counselor, evangelical Christian, who's become a leading leader and counselor in the country. His name's Kurt Thompson, if you're interested in looking into any of his work, but he's been profoundly beneficial to me on a number of fronts, including a practice that he introduces. It's a practice that I've actually practiced, but he extended the practice in a way that I've seen the benefit in a whole different way to help you deal with the fear so that it can open up the gateway for God's wisdom to flow to you. And it's simply this, it's not difficult. It only takes one minute. That's astonishing, one minute, but it really works. So I've been in a season of practicing this to gain some order. And that is when you're in that place of fear or anxiety, rather than letting it choke you, so you can open the gateway for the heavens to come, the wisdom of heaven to come your way, it's a breathing exercise. And you breathe six breaths, 10 seconds each, five in, five out. And it goes like this. Six. Six times in one minute. And it begins to relax your brain cells, your diaphragm, so that you can put fear in its proper place and open the gateway for wisdom. So why don't we practice it together? If we all practice it together, nobody will feel weird. (laughs) If only one of you practices it with me, I will feel word and so will everybody else. So let's just do it together. Would you just take a deep cleansing breath, counting to five. Slow. Again. Then put that fear and anxiety at the foot of the cross. And then go to God and say, God, it's me. Pray, it's me. I need wisdom. I need wisdom. It allows the centering and the gateway to open up. You'll find it helpful. I encourage you to step into that part of uh, practice and discipline. I'm grateful for a friend who um, asked a a woman who was dealing with a life-threatening disease how he might pray for her. And he told me her response. Her response was, pray for wisdom. And he said, well, why do you want me to pray for wisdom rather than healing? 
Listen to her response. She said, I need prayer for wisdom to not waste it all. If he answers my prayer for healing and I'm healed, he has purpose in it and I don't want to waste it. And if he chooses not to answer my prayer with healing, he has purpose in it and I don't want to waste it. Now, isn't that a good perspective? That's the wisdom that puts the priority of God's want and will and way into the center of my life and helps me manage myself, my wants, and my will and all that I want him to do. I want his will to be fulfilled. He just delights when we come to him with this kind of dependence on him. So the application is, um, am I asking God first? Not second, not mom first, God first. That's a great practice and rhythm to step. You can still go to mom, just ask God first in that. How do we receive the wisdom that we most need in life? Well, wisdom is your absolute necessity and wisdom is God's astonishing availability. And then third, we find this beautiful picture that wisdom is God's abundant generosity. Wow, you ask um, and say, God, when I ask God for, for wisdom, how does he answer? He answers with a generosity. There's no hesitation, there's no reservation, there's no limitation. We have all of that in our lives, so it's a bit of a paradigm shift to go to God who gives beyond all those limitations that we have in time and resource. Again, look at James 1.5. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. He gives generously to all. I like this generously because it's uh, with liberty. It's with abundance that he chooses to give to us. And so it really comes to our very view of God. How do you view God? Do you have a small view of God so you don't pay much attention to him in your life? Or do you have a great view of God? Do you view God as being just a bit stingy and holding back? Or do you view God with an open hand that's really a generous hand? And this is what God is asking us to do, to think of him this way. And James is instructing us to come with him with these kinds of Uh, expectations without hesitation or reservation as he wants to give to us because he's a generous God. And I love that he says he's generous to all. And I say that that's important because I think James knows how we think. We self-select our way out of God's generosity, oftentimes thinking, who am I? I am so unworthy. Why would God want to give anything to me? If you ever feel just unworthy, just raise your hand before the presence of God so I'm not alone. You feel unworthy. And so we say, oh, I self-select out. Why would he want to be generous with me? Can I just say to you, go to God and confess to him that you feel unworthy. Go to him first. Say, God, I feel unworthy, but I'm going to do what James says, and I come asking. That's what he wants, because it's for all of us. Everybody is invited Everybody's included, and everybody is important to the beautiful generosity of God that he wants to give to us all. And I love that he includes this really unique kind of sentence, to all without finding fault. Why does James include to all without finding fault? Because we think he's going to find fault with us again. So we'll take ourselves out. And so James adds this in case you have concern about coming too often to God. God does not have despite for you because you've come again. He's not thinking, oh, you again. He didn't think that way, you know. He's thinking, oh, he's got delight. What's you again? Thank you for coming. He loves when we come to him in the spirit of dependence, and I'm so glad he gives us that opportunity to enter into that place this way. So understand that he comes 
with his generosity, without reservation, without hesitation, without limitation, that he comes with us with an open hand, not a clenched fist, which is a reminder to me of our core value at Westwood, that we are a community that lives with open hands, gratefully receiving from God and joyfully giving it away. That's the rhythm that he's given us as a church family. That's part of our DNA, and it comes right from the very word of God. And as a dad, I know my limited resources and time. I want to be generous to my kids. The reality is I can't be as generous as I want. I don't have as much time as I want, but that's not God. God is just limitless in all of these things, and he loves it when we come. By the way, when you came in for worship today, I I ask it not without shame, just reality. Did you come expecting God to give you wisdom? Or did you just come for a worship service? He delights when we come and worship, expecting that he'll give us something. When you leave here today, my prayers, you do not leave with nothing. At Westonka, at Bush Lake, leave with something of God because he intends to pour something out for you. If you posture your life, you will receive it. We'll have that opportunity before we leave. And so the application to this given portion of it is in the presence of a king, don't ask for small gifts. And we come in the presence of the king, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Ask with a big generosity of God's heart in mind. So how do you receive wisdom? Well, two relate to you, two relate to God. First, you get wisdom um, as your necessity. And wisdom is this incredible, astonishing availability of God. It's his abundant generosity. And then we close with this final expression that wisdom is your authentic sincerity. And that's not about being positive. It's not positivity, it's sincerity. There's a difference. It's not about the movement that's been with us for several decades now, the positive thinking movement. I'm all for positive thinking, but don't put your confidence in positive thinking. Put your, posit- you put your thinking in, in Jesus Christ. That's where you want to get your positive thinking from him and him alone. He's talking about um, the authentic, real self movement. He's talking about the sincerity of your heart, the real heart. Show up before the Lord in your worship, in your praying, in your asking with yourself. The real you is the invitation. Take a look again at what he says in verses six through eight. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And you have this picture, this reminder of how we're to approach God. First of all, we are to ask. When you ask, you must believe. Ask with faith. I define faith as readiness, just one word. A readiness to believe God has the resource to be the God of my life that I most need and that I trust he will provide those resources I come to him. It's a a two-step dance. It's believing and trusting. It's believing and it's trusting. And it's an important expression because the greatest enemy to answered prayer, I think, uh, is the reality of believing that God has the resource but not trusting that he would want to give it to me. So I come believing you're God, I just don't believe you're gonna give it to me. So you pray a prayer for nothing and you get nothing. We wanna guard our hearts from that given rhythm. In fact, we are to come and to pray, and he says, without doubting, which is an interesting phrase. I have to pause on this one because all of us get buffeted on occasion by doubts, and so I don't want you to say, hey, I I think I'm out on this one because he says, he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed, 
And I think, oh man, that speaks to me because I doubt sometimes. Do you ever doubt sometimes? Say, just say yes. Thank you. West Tonka, do you ever doubt sometimes? Bush Lake, do you ever doubt sometimes? Yes, we do doubt. We all doubt sometimes. So what is James saying here? Because it sounds like our prayers aren't going to be answered. We've just eliminated ourselves because we have this occasional doubt. I think what James and his point here is the pattern of doubt that starts to be in your life that is like the wave. It's up and it's down. It's like the wind, it goes this way and that way. And so what specifically is he calling us out here? I think the pattern of prayer that says, God, I want your will, but I'm gonna choose to live my own way. I want your way, but I'm gonna choose to live your own, or my own will. It, it, we just turn it around, we make it about us. We want it, but we can't get over ourselves what we need and want. It's hard to die to self and receive from God what he wants, but that's where the wisdom flows. So he gives us this reminder that we are to be a people who are to be praying um, without doubt, without this pattern of, yes, God, I want you, but no, God, I'm gonna choose myself. I think that's what it relates to. We used to take our kids to North Carolina for vacation, and we play this game in the ocean, catch the wave. It's a very fun game until the wave catches you, as it did for me on one occasion, and put me just face down into the bottom of the ocean floor. And I'm telling you, it hurt. It smacked so hard. And I got up as quickly as I could, only to get hit in the face by another wave. <laughs> it brings me down again. I got up again, and I was so unstable. And this is what James is saying that doubt leads to instability. And a faith that doubts, um, like a wave, keeps us unstable, so doubt keeps us unstable, is what he's reminding us of. And he says it's an evidence of immaturity. And he's calling us to grow up. He's calling, calling us to be mature. Remember in verse one that we get this perseverance that leads to maturity that will make us complete in Christ Jesus. So he's growing us up, but we don't grow up because we want what he wants. Um, we say yes to it, but then we say no to what we want. And it's just this wave pattern, up, yes, down, no, up, yes, down, no. And we get tossed to and fro in the journey. And we come to this place where we say we believe, but we lack the trust. That's what I think he's calling us out on here. So I think he gives us this call to not be double-minded persons. That is double-minded souls, where we say, yes, Lord, I want you, but no, Lord, I'm gonna live for myself. That's the rhythm he's calling us to. In fact, I think it's a really clear warning. I think James warns us, if I could say it in three, three words, is don't be a cork. I'll give you a moment. Don't be a cork. In the ocean waves, what does a cork do? It goes up and down, up and down, tossed to and fro. Don't be a cork, is what James is saying. Come to the Lord God. Believe and trust. Ask and receive, and you will be delighted at the wisdom that will flow from heaven to earth through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to help you know what to do, who to become, where to go, what to say. That wisdom comes from God. That's James. Is this a great book? Don't you love it? Could we just close our time together in prayer? And so just everybody's eyes, Westonka, Bush Lake, just look at me for a moment. Could I just invite everyone, everywhere, palms up. Palms up. It's a posture of receptivity, of belief and trust, and receive this prayer first by taking 
a cleansing breath. Join me. Five seconds in, five seconds out. Join me. Again. West Tonka and Bush Lake. Um, those online, join us one more time. One more intake. So Lord, we can almost hear our brain cells settling and calming. Our diaphragms just releasing that anxiety and that fear. So we just bottle that up right now. We put it at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, the victor over fear and anxiety. And we come to you because it's a necessity. We need it. And you are so clear in astonishing availability that you will give it as we come. We come with open hands and that you'll give it generously. So we come with no pretense, just sincerity. This is us. We're real. We're humble. We're broken. We're pressed in, whatever it might be. Oh, Lord, this is me. And I need wisdom. So wherever you are, by faith in Jesus Christ. So if you don't have faith in Christ, start there and just say, oh, Lord, I need Jesus in my life. He'll give you the wisdom to receive. But if you have Jesus Christ in your life, just say, oh, Lord, I need wisdom for fill in the blank. You just take a moment. Fill in the blank. I need wisdom for So good, Lord. You have eyes to see. You have ears to hear all of these requests. You have a mighty right hand to lead and to guide our steps with this beautiful gift called wisdom. We humble ourselves with open hands, gratefully receiving wisdom for whatever is next and gladly, joyfully giving it away and even following the steps that you give to us. Be praised. And we thank you for this gift called wisdom. May we receive it believing that you are the God who gives it and trusting that you want to give it to me right now to your honor and glory. Amen and amen.